The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. We're going to be in Mark chapter 11 today. And as you're flipping there, if you're new, welcome. My name is Ryan and I'm your pastor and I'm glad that you're here. We are going through the gospel of Mark and we're coming down to the end. And in this part, we're going to be jumping over some stories, but it's not because I'm avoiding them. It's because we already preached on some of these around Easter time because we're coming to the end of the story of Jesus. We're talking about um, events that happened right after and around the triumphal entry today. We're talking about figs today. And before we pray, I need you to, to remember this moment. For me, it was a deeply painful and memorable moment. For some of you, you may remember, you remember first time on Easter, you go downstairs and you could be six, seven, eight, nine, whenever your memory started and you see the most gorgeous chocolate bunny you've ever seen in your life. And do any of you, similar to me, have this trauma where you bite into this massive tower of delight only to find out that someone made it hollow? And you feel like you were falsely advertised to. I thought it was going to be a three-foot-high chocolate bunny of destiny and joy, and it was a hollow, sad 12-ounce chocolate. Now, that's a kid version. I remember another time false advertisement came my way. It started at about 2 a.m. in the morning. I was up late, infomercials were on, and I just got hooked in. I mean, I own the sham wow, for crying out loud, but that's not this one. This false advertisement started with the program back in the day when it was the newest, hottest thing. It was called P90X. <laughs> and I looked at P90X, and they said all of these things. And at 2 a.m., your coffee is long worn off. Your self-control is long worn off. And they say, if you, if you get this program, then you will have the body you've always wanted to have. And I remember just clicking buy now, like because it was only for 19 more minutes that they had that deal. Call, buy, they sent it to me. I had this booklet of DVDs, P90X, Tony Horton, the X Factor. And I bought it, and I got my bands and my pull-up bar, my dumbbells, and I put them all around me, and I looked down, and my body was still the exact same. They said if I bought it, it would change. They lied. Today we're looking at the spiritual equivalent of that. Of these things in our lives, the fool's gold, the cubic zirconia engagement rings, we're looking at that. And it's in the story of a fig tree. So we're going to talk about what it, what it means to be a true Christian, a real Christian, a real follower of Jesus. We're going to talk about how to pray for anything, because that's what Jesus says in here and what that means. And then we're going to wrap this up and go change the world. So let's read, and then we'll pray. I'm going to read all the way through. I'm going to jump. It's going to be Mark 11, verse 12 to 14. Then I'm going to jump to verse 20. If that's too confusing for you, it'll be on the screen behind me. On the following day when they came from Bethany, he, Jesus, was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples heard it. Jesus talked to trees. As they passed by in the morning, verse 20, as they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look. The fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive 
if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray and jump in. Father, you have put this story in your Bible to teach us so many things. And, and Lord, this story happens in the final, final days of Jesus' life. He's putting out these final examples, connecting some final dots for his followers so that they would know what it means to be a follower of you. Lord, I pray that today we would all have an honest and sobering look at ourselves in light of this scripture. That we wouldn't be hollow chocolate bunnies. That we wouldn't simply have the exterior appearance of a Christian without the internal substance. And that you would activate in us a new way and a new power of prayer. In Jesus' name, all God's kids said, amen, amen. Uh, one of the things that I, I just love when it, the Bible talks about, and this is a, already a sidebar. I literally haven't even started. And we're already going down a rabbit trail. I love it when it says things like Jesus was hungry. Because you always think of Jesus and you think of the amazing things. He died on the cross for your sins. He rose from the dead. He healed the blind man. He, he stole the kid's lunchbox and fed 5,000. These are what we think about. But have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus got hungry? Like, you know that moment when you're in a room and the air conditioning turns off? and your stomach is roaring and just grumbling. And we all do the same thing. I don't know why we do this, but every single person I know, we like hold our stomach like we're with child, and we tell people, I'm hungry, as if our stomach wasn't screaming it loud enough. I'm, I'm so hungry. And we all also know the truth behind it. You're like, no, you're not hungry. You're gassy, okay? But it's weird for me to think about that Jesus got hungry, because then I think, did he also get hangry? Because the part that we pulled out from in between these passages is Jesus clearing the temple. So he's going in. He's already hungry. He sees a tree that doesn't have fruit, and he says, die. And then he goes in, and he makes a whip and flips tables inside their church buildings. I don't know. Maybe hangry is a character of godly people. That's just my thought. But it's something that I need you to remember as we're thinking through this today the humanity of Jesus, and also the fact that you and I will struggle at times when we are hungry. One of my favorite things that I tell people often when you're trying to figure out how to counsel somebody that's going through a hard time or dealing with anxiety or depression or fear, my one of my favorite stories in the Bible is when Elijah is running away from Je Jezebel, the queen. And God doesn't send him good advice God doesn't send him a little manual on how to overcome angry women who are trying to kill you, although that would be helpful for some of us today. Amen, guys? God says, take a nap. And then he wakes up, and God says, I made you a cake. An angel made, made him a cake. And take another nap. Like, this is sometimes what you need if you're going through a difficult time. You don't need the super spiritual answers. Jesus needed a fig. He needed something to eat. But the lesson is much deeper. See, fig trees in the Bible are constantly uh, or somewhat regularly compared to the people of Israel. And it's said that a fig tree like Israel would bear fruit in its season. And the thing about fig trees is that they would take about three years from the time you started them till they would bear a fig. And then usually you would get two harvests a year, sometimes three if it was a really, really good year. And the sign that figs were on the trees were when leaves were there. Leaves were the sign of saying, okay, this tree has bloomed. There should be some type of fruit, even if it's a small one. And when Jesus went and found nothing, he became upset. He found the hollow chocolate bunny. He looked at it and said, you, you have leaves. 
but you don't have the fruit that's supposed to go with the leaves. I know it's not the season, but you grew the leaves, fig tree. As Christians, we have to be careful that we are not holding up the appearance of following Jesus, but not bearing the fruit that comes with following Jesus. Let me track. Uh, If you want to look like a Christian, I'm going to teach you how to do it right now. If you're here and someone just bait and switched you here, I'm going to tell you how you can look like the most super Christian you've ever imagined you could be. Are you ready? So take notes. If you want to fake it till you make it, this is you. First, step one, go buy a paperback Bible or like a leatherback Bible, like not one of these Bibles. Don't buy a Bible that puts the glow of God's word upon your chin, okay? Buy a Bible with pages. Step two, tie a rope around it Put it on your car trunk and drag it behind your car for four to five miles till it gets really thrashed. Step three, open it up, give a highlighter to the nearest toddler, and let them highlight all over the inside of this newly thrashed Bible. Step four, come into a worship service with your fresh highlight thrashed Bible that's been drugged through the streets of Fishhawk. And when we start singing a song, you do this. You put your Bible down, you open it up, and put it in the chair next to you. And when you hear the drums get louder, that's key speak for a, if you're not a music person, that's the chorus, okay? So here's the drummers during the regular parts. Boom, boom, pata, boom, boom, pata. And when you hear the drummer go louder, you raise your hands up and you go like this. Oh, yes, Lord. Oh, yes, Lord. With your Bible open, tattered and torn and highlighted, your arms up in the air every time the drums get loud. And then the sermon comes. Now, we're not a loud church. And for some reason, second service has become quieter than first service. That's on you, not me. We're not like one of those churches where people be like, amen. The only time I get amens here are literally like when I like, talk about marriage. And it's usually not related to Jesus. It's like husbands die to your wives. And the wives are like, amen. And I'm like, yeah, Jesus died for your souls. And you guys are like, oh, cool, yeah, yeah, whatever. So I know we're not the amen church, but if you want to be super holy looking at this chapel, if you want to be a hollow Christmas bunny here, Easter bunny, when I make a good point, you just chuckle gently. <laughs> if it's a very Bible point and you've like flipped there, you know, you just, you, here we don't do the amens, right? You just, you go, mm-hmm, yeah, oh yeah, good one, pastor. And if you want to look really holy, you even take notes. Now, here's the thing. You don't have to take real notes, have a real highlighter, have a real thrash Bible. You don't have to sway in the air. You don't have to wave your arm. But if you want to look the part, you can do all those things and still be super, super, super far from God. As a matter of fact, you can even know a ton about the Bible and be very, very far from God. I know a lot of people who know an awful lot more about the Bible than I know and are miles from a relationship with Jesus. You could even go to the next level because that's a super Sunday Christian. If You, you could say, you know what, I want to be the best Christian. I'm going to go serve back in kids' ministry. Now, we say kids' ministry, it's, it's, that's where the real ministry happens. Because back there, they're learning about Jesus and believing. Over here, we're skeptical and looking around. You could go back there and serve. You could be in a small group. You could be a pastor and still just be all leaves and no fruit. Jesus saw this fig tree, and he said, you got all the signs, but you're not the real deal. It's like all those people I see on Instagram right now. I mean, these people are $40,000 millionaires. You tracking? There's this Instagram I just got connected to, put onto. <laughs> it's called, what's it called? Preachers in Sneakers. That's the actual Instagram. Somebody out there doesn't like Christians. I'm with them. I like this, this, this page. So they go on pastor's podcast, and they zoom in on their shoes, and then they go find out how much those shoes cost, 
and they put a collage up of the pastor wearing the shoes and then how much those shoes cost. And some of those shoes are in the thousands of dollars. I'm not talking like Gucci alligator skin gold flake shoes. I'm talking like it looks like these shoes. Thousands of dollars. And I love it because it's ornery and annoying and it calls out pastors for being bums. Now, here's the thing. You can wear expensive shoes all you want. But if you're talking about the free grace of Jesus, if you've ever mentioned helping the poor and you're wearing $2,000 pair of sneakers, like at least let that be dress shoes or something that gives you like a spine fix or something. But sneakers? And some of you are here, you're like, sweetheart, give me your makeup. I'm covering up my symbols because these Air Jordans are $898. Look, I'm not trying to drop shame on you. Yes, I am. Like, okay, but here's the thing. I judge that. You know what I'm doing in that moment? I'm like, I can't believe you'd spend $2,000 on shoes. Meanwhile, there's someone in the world being like, you've got shoes. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I've got shoes. The, the distance between me and $2,000 pairs of shoes is closer than the distance between the people who can't afford shoes and the, in these $70 Amazon basketball things, just so we're all on that page. You're like, oh, this is so bad. Now, here's the thing. We all can put up our leaves of holiness. This is, I'm looking the part of a Christian. I'm doing the right things. I'm wearing these shoes, but not those shoes. I'm dressed this way and not that way. I go to this church, not that church. I don't have to tuck in my shirt because Jesus still loves me. I don't raise my hands all the way, just part way. I volunteer half the time, but then I forget the other half. Jesus loves me, right? Here's, here's what Jesus is showing us in this fig tree. He's saying, look, if you are mine, and you're in me, you will bear fruit when you're supposed to bear fruit. And if you are showing off the signs of bearing fruit, but you're not really doing it, if you're playing the Instagram game of I look this good, but I'm actually not, or the Christian game of everything's hunky-dory in my life when it's actually falling apart, your roots are going to dry up when I arrive. Because I'm not here to play with the fakers. I'm not here to placate the hollow chocolate bunnies. I'm here to make you what you were supposed to be. It's, it's difficult. It's difficult for me to think about this because it's just a tree. Jesus talked to a tree and said, you're not doing what you were made to do. Die. Now, I don't know how that perfectly translates over other than the fact that Time and time again, he's saying this to religious people. He's not saying it to the people outside of the church. He's saying it to church people. Don't put up the leaves that look like you're doing the right thing when you're actually hollow on the inside. Last week, in different services, just so you know, and I double-checked this morning because I, I ran into both couples. Last week, we had two wallets go missing at the chapel in different services. So my first thought was, we have a pickpocket. I'm so pumped up. Like these are, I tell you guys, we want to invite the type of people here who will steal your purse. We want you to look around and say, I don't trust them. They still need Jesus. And I want them to look at you and be like, I don't trust them. They're wearing $900 sneakers. But then ends up they both found their wallet. So I thought, dang it, we only have church people still. But seriously, lock your cars. People do that at every church I've been at. People get their cars stolen from. There's this. This idea, and I don't know why we do it, but we're addicted to it. 
of doing the right things, saying the right things on the outside. And the only time that people come to me or to the prayer for the elders or, or come to somebody close that they trust, their, their small group, their micro church, the only time people go into that is when their life hits rock bottom. Rock bottom. And, and it's because we're scared that people will see us as we truly are, as we know ourselves to be. And our fear is that if we showed someone our true colors, that they would reject us. I cannot speak for everyone here, but I can tell you that I will not reject you. It might be difficult for me, depending on the thing you divulge, but I've had in my ministry some wild things brought to the table. And here's my hope, is that some of you wouldn't have to learn that experience firsthand. That you would say, you know what? I have been pretending. I have been playing the part. I have been putting up the shiniest Christian version of myself. I just need to be open and honest. Find that tribe that you can be that person with, where you can be yourself without fear because all of the bad things in you, about you, around you, in your past, in your present, they've been nailed to the cross, and you can be freed. This fig tree was trying to pretend to be a fruit-bearing tree, and it was not. So we have to ask yourselves today, before you get to the next part, where am I pretending? And what am I trying to get from it? Because it's usually to get the approval of someone else. But Jesus goes on. After he kills this, after he talks to this fig tree, and by the way, he talks to trees like you and I talk to each other. I love the way that Jesus talks to this tree and he talks to wind in the Bible like I talk to you. you s- hey, what are you doing this afternoon? Jesus just says that to a fig tree. Hey, no one's going to eat from you ever again. Bop. When the storms are raging on the sea, he didn't say, Father, it is time for this storm to calm down. He literally turns, looked at the waves, and if you translate the actual ancient language, he says to the waves, shut up, as in the new ghetto version. Literally just says, be quiet. Be quiet. And he's talking like it's a person. I love that Jesus is connected enough to the the tree and the waves to talk to them, and we think that he doesn't talk to us right? Prayer can be hard, you guys. And this, we're going right into this prayer part where he says, hey, I'm going to show you how to pray now. If you're the real deal, this is what prayer looks like. Prayer sometimes feels like you're just talking to a ceiling, and the ceiling's bouncing the sound back at you. Here's what I tell everyone. When you're first starting out to pray, pray out loud. And you're like, we never, I don't know how to do that. And people say, how do you pray? And I'll say, talk to God like he's your dad, because he is. Well, I don't know how to do that because some of us grew up in different traditions. You guys can all, well, our Father who art in heaven. Let's be real, you guys. All that you guys did that, you just King James yourself. I know where you grew up and how you grew up. And let's be real, none of you says the word art unless it's a subject in school. I've never heard someone be like, oh, Ryan, art's at Starbucks right now. When I ask you, hey, where's your wife? She arteth over there, taking care of the children. We don't do that. But we all have this programmed in our brain, our Father who art in heaven. <laughs> if you're a kid in our culture and you heard that prayer because you grew up a Presbyterian child, you'd be like, is God always painting? What is he doing up there? Come and help. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. You're like, yeah, I've always wondered what that means. Is it like hollow, like this bunny thing? 
sometimes we say these prayers, we don't know what they mean. So here's the first thing I want you to do. Remember that Jesus wants to talk to you, and he wants you to talk to him. So what you do is you go outside. You stand on a sidewalk. You stand on one side of the sidewalk. You leave room for the Holy Spirit of Christ to walk beside you. And this is way easier in 2019 than it was in 2009, okay? In 2009, we still weren't always wearing the Bluetooth because we didn't know if it was going to cause brain cancer. Nowadays, I think kids are born and they come out of the womb with Apple AirPods. That's all I see everywhere. They're just going out there and it's just like white AirPods in their ears. And they're having a conversation with me and I'm thinking, dude, if I was your daddy, I'd slap those EarPods out of your eerie head. Anyway, walk down the street and I want you to pray out loud to Jesus. And you're going to say, I'm going to do that. And I'm going to look like a fool. Not if you have a Bluetooth in. No one will know the difference. And if you can't afford it, go get an old pair of Apple earbuds and just cut the cord off and put it in your ear. There's your five bucks. Get you a free prayer pass in public so no one calls crazy police on you. And just walk around. Leave room for Jesus and talk. And you might say, well, I'll go talk. And I've talked before, Pastor, but he never talks to me. And this is where you get in little tricky situations. Because God, I believe, talks to us for sure in one way, through his word. My son asked me, Daddy, how does God talk to you all the time? You say, I heard from God, I heard from God, I heard from God. How do you hear from God? And I say, here's how I hear from God. I either put out my audio Bible or I read the words of God out loud so they go in my eyes, through my brain, out my mouth, and back into my ears. Because this is God's word, so when I'm hearing it, guess what I'm hearing? God's word. People say, how does God talk to you? I, I read it, say it out loud, and I heard it. Well, how does that speak to you? Well, I just keep doing it over and over and over again. People are like, well, how do you know what God's saying? I read it, and it goes in my ears. Well, what is he saying? It's very simple. Uh, love your neighbor as yourself and just Think on that one for a little bit. Like, love your neighbor as yourself. Like, when you're hungry, you feed yourself. Unless you're like a very allergic person trapped in a butchery. When you're hungry, you go to the fridge. What if your neighbor's hungry? What should you do? Okay. When, you're, when your kids are out of control and they're trying to just be rabble rousers, what do you do? Well, let's not do that one. Sorry, CPS people, close your ears. <laughs> all I heard was, slap them upside the head. Because I, I don't know all of you. I don't want to have someone say, like, I duct taped my Billy to a palm tree outside for four days. You know, put a bird feeder by his face to drink him water. So let's retract that. When you're having a tough day, you try to work it out. When your neighbor's having a tough day, are you trying to work it out? Love your neighbor as yourself. So often we forget the simplest commands and we want to move on to these greater things. People have told me time and time and time and time again in my ministry, Pastor Ryan, all you do is you always end up talking about Jesus and dying on the cross and Jesus dying on the cross. Can we get to the next thing? I'm like, there is no next thing. You don't get it enough yet. The reason I know is because we all have bitterness and anger and rage and gossip and slander and lust and addiction in our lives. And I'm trying to show you different ways to freedom. Today, it's freedom from hypocrisy. Looking one way with your leaves, but having no fruit on you. And how does the gospel free you from that? How does the gospel free you from weak prayers? We've forgotten that Jesus wants to talk to trees at times. Of course he wants to talk to you. And you might be like me. You might be the guy who puts the fun in fundamentalism. 
Or you might be one of those people, the Pentecostal kind. I wish I could be more like you sometimes because there are some of our brothers and sisters in Jesus and some here we have got people from all places. We've got Catholics and recovering Catholics. We've got Presbyterians and Pentecostal Tyrians. We've got Assemblies of God and Baptist people. The Baptist people stand like a piece of plywood during worship. That's how you know who they are. The Assemblies of God people do this. The Pentecostal people are the ones without rhythm. They clap off beat. We've got them all here. We've got them all. The Pentecostal people hear God in different ways. And I, as a Bible-thumping person, literally I had a Bible that said Tyrona's Thumper. I look at those people with skepticism. When they're like, oh, the Lord told me. And sometimes, as a Bible guy, I'll say, no, he didn't. I had one person come to me once and they said, the Lord has called me to get a divorce from my husband. And I didn't even respond in my full sarcastic mode. I just flipped, turned, and said, no, he didn't. Now, if your husband's a bum, he may call me to go beat him, but he didn't call you to leave him. Well, no, the Lord told me in my prayers. I don't think God's up there and he's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to spend all of these thousand plus years over all of these authors to write this amazing book that takes us people through a story so that they find their Redeemer, their Savior, their God, their King. And I'm going to write down all of this story, and I'm going to hit print screen forever. And then I'm just going to go around changing the rules because I feel like it. <laughs> but that's what people do. Well, you know, God told me it's okay. And here's the problem with God told me. Is that when we throw that out there in a church setting, you kill conversation instantly. Because if I say the Lord told me this, and you say, no, he didn't, all of a sudden I'm like, oh, you're questioning the good Lord? He told me this. Who are you to question that? You're not God. And that's why we have to become people of the book. So we can say, here, I know God said these things for sure in the Bible. So if your things that you're saying don't match up with these things that he said, I got questions for you. But in order to do that, in order to access that, in order to know God's heart, in order to have the faith that Jesus is talking about here, to pray and tell mountains to move into the sea, to talk with Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you have to have something happen to you. Because if you just read this passage, if you just read Jesus saying about prayer, truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, jump into the sea and it will be so, if you just read that, you can start a type of a church right now. The type of church that says, if you donate $100, the Lord's going to pay you back 1000 And churches do this. And I know that that's not this chapel family, but you, I know you've all seen it with me. The pastors say, buy this holy hanky. It's only $25.99 for the next 19 minutes. And if you buy it, you will be blessed a hundredfold. I'll tell you what, save that money. Go buy a 99-cent hanky and just use it for what it's meant to be used for. So often these people... Well, say, if you do this, if you ask and you believe enough in your heart, if you believe enough in your heart, it will come to be. And if you take this one verse and you divorce it from all of the other passages about prayer in the Bible, you, you could say, yeah, Jesus is saying, whatever I want, ask for it and really believe it. I think we know that wouldn't always work. Otherwise, we would be seeing crazy things. This would, we'd be living in the first part of Bruce Almighty, the movie, where we all ask to win the lottery and then everyone wins it. We all ask for the Tampa Bay Lightning to win, and they all win again, and all the other teams lose. 
if we were able to ask for a mountain to move, some of you wouldn't ask to throw it into the sea. Some of you would ask to throw it on your neighbor or your ex or whoever. And you'd be like, God, why aren't you answering my prayers? Because we've divorced, if you divorce that verse from what the Bible says about prayer, it gets broken real quick. This is not a, if you believe it, then you receive it. And my name is Tony Robbins. You're welcome. It's not one of those. This is a, if you want to know how to ask, go to other passages where Jesus talks about prayer. If you want to know how to tell mountains to jump into the sea, if you want to have the same power in you that could say, tree, die, you got to know how to be connected, and then you'll know how to ask. First John, or sorry, John 15, Jesus says this, John 15, verse 7, says, if you abide in me and my words, my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. Now, that's a big ask. If, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then ask for whatever you want, and it will be done for you. You remember when you first married people? You remember when you first looked at your spouse and you thought, I have no idea what is going on inside their brain. Do you remember that moment? It still happens to me often, more often than I'd like. I'm going in 12 years now. And there are just moments where I look at my wife and we're in sync, right? We finish each other's sandwiches, correct? Yeah. And we're good with that. But then there are moments where, like, I fall out of sync with her, and then something changes. And she looks at me like a puma, and I'm like a baby gazelle. And in my mind, I'm thinking, and husbands, you've all been here, I did something wrong. I don't know what it is. Danger, danger, danger. And you're racing through your brain. What did I do? What did I do? What did I do? And you're thinking like shoes, toilet, dishwasher, car, gas. I have no idea what I've done. Because in those moments, they're revealing that you're not in, in the same amount of in syncness, not the band, the syncing upness with your wife that you thought you were. We will end up being a hollow chocolate bunny, a fruitless fig tree, if we don't sync up with Jesus. We will ask for things that we ought not to ask for because we are still sitting on the throne. But Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, if you know him, then ask for whatever you want. But if you know your spouse, you, you ask for things that you know they are prone to answer. I don't go home and ask my wife for crazy things, usually. But some of us think prayer is just this genie access. And I could just, Lord, I need this. I need that. I was talking with a friend yesterday, and I said, yeah, it's interesting. When I, when I first became a Christian, I just prayed for everything. I wanted the, I wanted the, the Toyota Supra 94 twin-turboed. Uh, I wanted a lot of money, and then I wanted to be famous, and then I wanted to write books, and I wanted to be smart, then I wanted to be good-looking, and then God was like, hold your horses. I'll only give you one of those things. Guess which one he gave me? Not the looks, obviously. I know a 6.5 when I see one in the mirror. Here's the thing. The more you press in and Jesus abides in you and you abide in his word, the more the questions you ask will be lined up with who he is because you're spending time connecting to him, being part of him and letting him take over the parts of you that are self-centered, self-focused, self-righteous. 
But this, he says in the verse 9 of that same passage in John 15, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. Jesus is trying to give you his joy. And the way to do that is to be connected to him. And you don't start it. In case you haven't read this enough in the Bible, it's not that you get good enough and then that God loves you finally. It's that God's love saw you while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. That means while you were a pile, Jesus said, I am going to die for you. And his love and his forgiveness collided with your life. And he comes in. And we abide by saying, thank you. And now I want to know you more. His love for us is already 100%. Our knowing him more is what relationship is all about. And when you get into that relationship, when you get into that dance, then you'll begin to ask for things and they'll happen. I shared last week about the story of my dad, who's never been a churchgoer and got healed miraculously in an elevator by a stranger. And now he's a churchgoer. Weird. It's weird to say that coming out of my mouth. It's like I just ate kale. You may think, ah, I don't know if I buy that, all this Jesus loves me stuff. And here's the thing. In our culture, we say that, and it's almost like this donut glaze of Jesus loves me. Now, Jesus loves you so much, he knows the darkest parts of who you are. He knows the most rancid, self-centered, self-gratifying thoughts that you have. He knows everything about your past, every moment of lies and exaggeration and deceit and greed and lust and anger and control and manipulation. He knows all of that. And he said, I see it all and I'm going to love them despite that all. And I love them so much I'm not going to let them stay that way. I'm going I'm to put my spirit into them so that they change. And if you get that, then you can finally be freed of trying to be the hollow chocolate bunny, or the fig tree with no fruit, all leaves, all show and no go. If you understand that there's someone that will accept you, no matter what anyone else says, you're finally free to stop living under the pressures of everyone else's expectations. If you understand that even in your current failures in Jesus, God says, I I see that, I'm going to pick you up out of that. If you understand that you can be open before God and still be hugged and embraced by him, so much changes in your life. Your prayers will change. The way you present yourself will change. You'll no longer need to peacock your feathers out so that others say, wow, how amazing are they? You'll stop being a hollow chocolate bunny and you'll become the real deal. Jesus was looking for that tree to bear some fruit. The fruit is very easy. We have a song that we even sing in Christianity for it. It's a fruit of the spirit song. Who knows the fruit of the spirit by heart? How many super Christians do we have here with tattered, highlighted Bibles who wave their hands during the chorus of songs? Fruit of the Spirit is. Man, I'll tell you what. I know where all the newer believers come. Second service. First service, they were like, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You guys don't know that song? YouTube it. YouTube it. My kids try to say it fast like it's a tongue twister. If you are in Jesus, you will grow in the fruit of the Spirit. And the other fruit that Jesus mentions in this passage is forgiveness. 
it is extremely easy to say you forgive someone. It can be very difficult to, to truly forgive people. Now, this is not something I'm good at because I've practiced it. I was forgiven much when I came to know Jesus and after and every day since. My mother was here the first service, and I said, Mom, she was sitting over here. I'm not pointing at you. You're not my mother, even though I like your shirt. I said, Mom, did you ever think, actually, my brother's here. Brother, before I found Jesus, would you have ever guessed that I'd be a pastor? No. Um, if, if there was a guess that I'd be some kind of minister, it would have been a minister in a jail, okay? Like my friends got arrested in high school. All of my people, that's, that was my crowd. Like the go to jail, don't let your daughters near these guys crowd. And then God's like, ah, I see your, your sex and your drug use and your addictions and the way you chase girls and you, your mouth like a sailor. I see all of that. You're shy. You don't like talking in front of people. I couldn't give a, a presentation in front of 20 kids in my school. I didn't like that. And God says, you are going to talk about me forever. And I would have said back to him, I can't even repeat it here because I'm a pastor now. And that's what we think of when we think all the rotten things. The problem is then I became a Christian and I left this self-centered, self-righteous, do whatever I want because I'm the king of my own life, and I became a Christian. The problem was that I became a self-righteous, self-centered Christian because I still had those old sins. I stopped saying all the bad words and doing all those surface-level things, but it was still all about me, and God had to break me down and remind me that I didn't pick you because you're talented. I picked you because you're an idiot. Read 1 Corinthians. I thought God picked me because I could use humor. God says, no, I picked you because you're dumb, and I'm trying to get dummies to come love me. I figure if I got the lowest dirt bag, the other ones around your level would come. That's all we are, dirt bags, by the way. Bag of dirt, breath of life, right? We breathe out our last breath, we return to dirt. You can argue the first one, you can't argue the second one on science, okay? It's crazy. And, and then I got broken down and I've tried to run from this pastoring thing. Some of you, maybe you're, the, you're in Christianity, but you're like, I've just been pretending. I don't even know how to stop pretending. Look at what Jesus has given to you and who he is in you. You don't bring anything to him. You say, I am a leafless, fruitless tree, and I need help. And Jesus says, that's what I need. Plant you in me. Boom. And then all of a sudden, his fruit grows out of you, and you say, this is amazing. And then we get caught up in Christianity, but I have to look a certain way, dress a certain way, act a certain way, and God says, no, 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 no. You need to be forgiving and loving. The reason that I can forgive people often and easily is because I've been forgiven of much on the cross. Whenever I'm not forgiving people, I say, man, I've forgotten how much I've been forgiven of. As a matter of fact, it would be, you would be hard-pressed to make me not like you. I mean, maybe on an interpersonal level, I just am not a people person. But generally, if you can offend the junk out of me, you could say, I did this. I went right now. I just, I just went out, and you won't even believe what I did to your car. It wouldn't be a shock to me. When I was a youth pastor, I came out of one Sunday service, and in neon green paint was the F word across my whole truck. And I thought, Apparently, that's what Jesus wanted these old white people coming out of church to see. And it was a very older, suit-filled, organ-playing church, and they were all huffing and puffing. Can you believe the youth pastor's truck has the F word on it? And I was like, yeah, I did that. I woke up this morning and thought, how can I offend 1,400 people? Got it. So we all get in these boxes. This is 
if I do this, you know, then they'll see me here and I'll be okay. Bring nothing to God and God will give you everything. Bring nothing to Christ knowing that he brought everything on the cross. And every time you don't forgive someone, let that be a reminder. I am not remembering how much I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven for my sin stuff and I'm forgiven for my self-righteous religious stuff. My friends that I, I hang out with often right now, they, they found out I was a pastor. My kid outed me, okay? Um, I try to keep it on the down low because here's what happens. And it's happened to me hundreds of times, but this one particular, my friend uh, Julia said, oh my, took Lord's name in vain. I didn't know you were a pastor. I've been cussing in front of you this whole time, and you didn't tell me. And it's weird that that's always the response when people find out I'm a pastor. Oh, I've got to stop cussing. Never mind my greed, self-centeredness, adultery, lust, addictions, pornography, drunkenness. The only thing they care about around me is like, don't cuss. I'm like, seriously, dude. Like, I... I've heard what you do before you found out as a pastor. And the thing you're worried about is your sailor language. But it's the same here. There's only two men here at the chapel that when they cuss, they don't look at me anymore. They just let it go, and I pray for their eternal forgiveness. The rest of you guys, it slips out, and I see it. You just, Hoo-ch! or you lean in and whisper it. Or if you're a super Christian with lots of leaves, we use all the Christian substitute curse words. I don't give a frick about that darn thing. That stinking beanbag is a piece of shiitake mushrooms. All of a sudden, it's okay because we just talked about beanbags, mushrooms, refrigerators for some reason, and asphalt. There's a heart that Jesus is trying to change. And it changes when you abide in him. It will change the way that you pray. You'll pray with boldness, knowing that you're in his will. You'll stop praying for, you'll stop praying for Lamborghinis. You'll start praying for people who are lost. You'll stop praying for just only money. Uh, you pray for money. Some of you all need some finances. It's real. Some of you all need healing from cancer. Pray for all of the things, but press into Jesus so that you know more and more and more how to pray for these things. And then look at your life and say, am I a forgiving person? Am I a loving person? Am I joy-filled? Because that's the fruit that the Spirit will grow up in you. And if you've gone in this Christian journey and you've become more, you've become joyless, you love less, you forgive less, you might not have your life connected to the one that bears fruit in you. If you find yourself only praying for your needs and not the needs of others, you might not be connected to the one who gave his life for the sake of everyone else but him. This is how we change from being hollow chocolate bunnies to the real deal, where we can let down our guards and breathe easy and say, I'm free. Let's pray. Jesus, Jesus, you told this tree to die because it wasn't right and it died. Lord, there will come a day when you will return and those who are faking it till they make it will not stand before you. Those who live in a manufactured religion will not stand before you because you are not you did not come to die to make a manufactured religion. Lord, you didn't come to die so that we could have budgets and buildings and programs. You came to die so that you could have a family forever. And some of us, God, are just now experiencing this for the first time. Or some of us, Lord, maybe in my boat there, we've been walking with Christ now for decades, and, and we've just begun to slowly re-put up our fronts and putting on masks so that people see a certain perception of us. God, I ask in the name of all that you are, 
to break through our fakeness, to help us remove the spiritual makeup we put on ourselves, and to help us be known openly and totally by you. And Lord, for those in here who don't have a tribe, give them a tribe, come around them. Lord, you've made an amazing church family here where people can bring all their junk, and we've been a church that lifts people to you rather than bears people down in shame and guilt. So help people experience that same freedom. In Jesus' name, amen.